0: Uh, Welcome to January. If you weren't here last week, we started a series on on money this January. Usually every year uh, in January we take a couple weeks to talk about money. So if you're one of those people that you, you didn't come to church for years because, hey, all they talk about is money in churches. You might be right or God might have you just here for that reason this morning because he wants to work on you regarding money. I I think it's okay to talk about money. Uh, The title of our series is Dollars and Cents, Keeping Money in Its Place. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but I find most Problems that you encounter in life usually have a root somewhere that money got out of place. It, it got more importance than it was supposed to. It moved up the priority list. It became more important than a person in a relationship. Whatever it is, there's a lot of problems that stem from money. And if one of the things that we like to do, and I, I believe because Jesus talked about it so much When you encounter Jesus, which is part of our mission, if you're coming to New Life Fellowship, you're going to meet him, you're going to continue to meet with him, you're going to develop a relationship with Jesus, you're going to hear about money. Because I I think people that were around Jesus a lot heard about money a lot. Come on. If you you read through the the scripture, all of his parables, about a third of them had to do with money. All all these things that he talked about. I wonder if Jesus ever got that reputation. Like people were thinking, I don't want to go hear that Jesus guy talking. and He just talks about money every time we see him. That, that could have been very real for him, but he did it in a way that kept money in its proper perspective in our life. That he, he, did, he taught us not to be mastered by it, not to worship it. And he, he talked about it so much because he knows it's an issue for us that gets out of whack. Um, I think there's a lot of people that they look at churches. Maybe you, you know a couple people like this. If you want to put that, that first cartoon up there, uh, I think this is why some people are jaded about church. Uh, they think here we are as a church saying Money is evil. Give it to us. It's like, it's like, I'll take it off your hands so you won't be tempted by it, so you won't let it master you, so you won't, you know, develop a love of money in your life. Just give it to us. We'll fall on the sword for you. We'll, we'll fall on the grenade, whatever analogy you want to use. But that's the attitude people have about churches sometimes is they think, oh, you tell us how terrible money is, and then all you do is ask for it. That's not the, the picture, and, and no, I wasn't meaning to disparage any particular denomination or religious background by the people pictured in the picture. Uh, it's just, I think the church gets a bad rap sometimes. Hey, how m- that chair costs more than I make in a year and you're asking us for more offerings. So that's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not the image we're supposed to portray to the world. Uh, then you get some other people. They they act like this next cartoon. Uh, when it's time to take the offering in church, we give the, uh, the bandanas to the ushers and he says, this is a stick up. Nobody moves until we get enough money to cover this week's budget. Hopefully you've never felt like that in a church meeting where you felt coerced or, or forced into giving. Uh, we, we talked a little bit last week just to recap a little bit. The New Testament standard for giving is Second Corinthians nine, seven, that you decide in your heart what you want to give and that's what you give and you do it without uh being coerced because god loves a cheerful giver that that is the standard for giving you're not under a curse you're not going to be bad things happen to you we we give what we decide in our heart and i think god loves that he it says he loves a cheerful giver and and it's okay to decide i i I don't know why i'm saying this again but it's okay to decide ahead of time how much you're going to give in church on sunday morning some, sometimes I think we, we get in this place of, oh, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. And, and I'll figure out what we're going to give Sunday morning when we get there. And then God doesn't get anything. Because, oh, man, I forgot I, didn't, I wore my, my dollars are in the other jeans that I wore. And they're not in this one. So I'll give next week. Come on, it's okay to have a meeting with the Lord to lay everything out in front of Him and say, God, it's all yours anyway. What do you want me to give? And and that's where you decide in your heart what you want to give. And you bring it and you give it joyfully and cheerfully, not under compulsion or reluctantly. And everybody says amen because that's a good word about giving right there. And that should set some of us free. Uh, There is no guilt in giving. Come on. There there should never. if, If you're in a place where you're feeling manipulated or guilted into giving. Just keep your money, go give it somewhere else, be, be wise about it, but there should never be any guilt. It should be an act of, man, I'm excited to come and give today. It's an act of worship in my heart. Uh, last week, we also talked about keeping our lives free from the love of money, and we said that the love of money creeps in first as a seed in our heart, and there's a progression where it starts to grow inside of us. And I saw this quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, you can blame circumstances, but backsliding always begins in the heart. And I thought that went along with last week. It could be the love of money. It could be anything else. It comes first in our heart and it plants a seed and that begins to grow. So last week we talked about keeping our lives free from the love of money. And we kind of use this as our key verse. Matthew 6, verse 24 says no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus literally said in that verse, if you begin to serve money and make it the most important thing in your life, you will despise God. Come on, we, w- we will actually get to a point where I don't want to be in church. I don't want to be around his body. I don't want to meet with him. I don't want to hear from him because I'm so caught up in serving another master. So you'll begin to despise the other one. So very, very necessary that we figure out how to keep our lives free from the love of money as we were encouraged last week. Uh, so today I want to spend a couple minutes talking about what should we do with money? That's, that should be a question that we all have. What should I do with this money I have? Hopefully you have some money. Come on, if you don't have any money and you never have this question, then you don't need the answer to it. But money is necessary. Money makes the world go round. It puts groceries on our table. It pays our bills. Money should be coming into our lives and going out of our lives at some point. We we need to do it. And uh, I, I, will, I will say this. Maybe this is just for anybody in the crowd who's under 30. How many of you know that free Wi-Fi isn't free? Come on. some Somebody... Had to assemble those routers. Those parts weren't free. Somebody put wiring in there. There are people that are are installing Wi-Fi in places that they sure hope they get a paycheck and their family gets paid. And, and I think sometimes if we're not careful, we think, oh, well, everybody ought to just give everything to everybody and nobody should make any money on it. Money is is necessary to make the economy work and to to pay our bills and put food on the table. Nothing is truly free, so let's let's think about that as as we're out and complaining about you know some place like whoa they don't have Wi-Fi in this place stupid place you know don't they know it should be free for everybody well it, maybe if you want to make it free in their establishment pay to buy them a, a router or something. Ah, oh, maybe, was that too soapboxy? Maybe that's just me that gets all worked up about that. Because I hear, I hear people saying, oh, well, all this stuff should be free. Well, what about people who have families to feed that, you know, they're working hard to, to make that happen for us. So money is necessary. And having no money doesn't necessarily make you more Christ-like, okay? It, just, just because I don't have two nickels to rub together doesn't make me more pious or more spiritual. We said it last week that I've met people that have no money and they are controlled by the love of money. They, they have made money an idol in their lives, even though they don't have any to rub together. Or you meet people. Has anybody ever met anybody that has taken a vow of poverty? I've, I've met a couple people like that, where they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm just going to vow to never have any money and be poor. Maybe, you know, poverty is part of a curse. In, in in Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says, if you don't keep the law, these curses will come upon you. And it says famine and plague and pestilence, disease and poverty will overtake you. Why would you say I'm going to have a vow to pursue something in my life that was part of a curse in the Bible? So poverty is not from God. Come on, the, the 23rd Psalm, what's the first verse? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or be in lack is a translation of that in a lot of places poverty was not god's idea in fact i think there are times when we see god get involved where poverty begins to disappear poverty is not something that that we should espouse as oh this is a very pious value everybody should be in poverty no in fact i think jesus had money come on how, how many of you need a treasure in your life if, if Jesus had a group that traveled with him everywhere that had needs, they had to feed them, they had to house them, they had to keep them going and they had a treasure in their group. Why would they have a treasure if they had no money? We we don't think about these things sometimes. Oh, they had a treasure just so Judas would get bitter and betray Jesus. Like, that's the only reason they had that job for a treasure. And no, Jesus had a treasure in his ministry. He had a garment that was so expensive that soldiers gambled for it. They said, let's not tear it. This guy's on the cross. This look how expensive this is. Let's gamble for it and we'll take it. Uh, Unless Mary and Joseph had a huge problem at the camel track with gambling, I think Jesus' family had money. You remember the wise men showed up. What did they give Jesus? Like, like noisemakers and confetti? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I don't think it was just, I don't think it was just the way we picture the nativity scene with just three guys with this, some little thing. Here's some gold, Jesus. We traveled all this way from the Orient and this is all we could afford was this tiny little thing of gold and frankincense. I think they gave him wealth. And I think that flowed in Jesus' family and his ministry from that day forward. Now, Jesus wasn't ruled by wealth. He wasn't concerned about where it would come from. He knew his father would meet all his needs, but it wasn't like they didn't have any money. So I think we need to get that mindset out that, oh, poverty makes us more godly. It just makes us more poor. Come (laughs) on. And, And Jesus... Jesus wants us to have some means in our lives because he has a will that he wants to see accomplished for our lives and it takes money to do it often. How many of you have ever were around long enough to hear my dad say uh, the way you spell vision is M-O-N-E-Y? Come on, I, I heard that enough growing up to, to remember it. It takes real money to reach real people in a real world. So, so God expects money to be flowing in our lives, but he is very concerned about what do we do with it. How do we handle it? How do we relate to it, and what do we do with it? Uh, four things that I want to tell you today, just just like anything else that comes into our lives, we can do godly or ungodly things with our money and I believe there's there's four things that God wants us to do with money this year all right everybody say i 'm going to do this with money this year man, that was cool. you guys didn 't even ask me what like, you just said yes pastor we 're with you. Tell us anything you want to do so, so Man, that's all, I could, that's where manipulation comes in churches. I could say, well, one of the things God spoke to do with money this year is you're all gonna write your entire savings on uh, a check out to the church. He didn't say that. So, relax. I'm, I'm not after your wallet. I'm not gonna tell you to give your checkbook to your neighbor to make out your check for you. All those cliches that we see in church. Here are four things, and I'll, I'll give you the payoff now. Pun intended that time. I'll give you the payoff now and then we'll look at each one of these. This is what Jesus wants you to do with money this year. Earn it, give it, save it, and spend it. Well, that's not rocket science, Pastor. I thought you were going to tell us something profound and deep from the scriptures. He wants you to earn money. He wants you to give money. He wants you to save money. And he wants you to spend it. And we're going to talk about each one of those things just real briefly and how there are godly ways to do each one of those things and there are ungodly ways to do each one of those things. But that is what we're to do with it this year. So the, the first thing on the list, earn it. Because you can't, you can't do anything else with money if you don't have any, right? If if you ever tried to say hey I'm I'm going to go use my money today but I don't have any and you don't get very far what's the uh, I saw a cartoon somewhere the, the lady said I'm I'm on a new diet it's called I have 5 dollars till Friday Come on. Some, sometimes we, we put ourselves on that kind of diet because we don't have any money and we can't do anything with it. But the first thing on the list is we have to earn it. And uh, here's a couple of verses t- thinking about earning money in a godly way. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In Proverbs 14.23 in the message, I love this version of it. He says, hard work always pays off. Mere talk puts no bread on the table. He says, remember the Lord your God. He gave you the ability to produce wealth. Why would God give you the ability to do something that he didn't want you to do? Like, hey, I give you this ability to produce wealth, but I don't ever want you to have any money because you might be tempted. You might use it wrong. He gave us the ability to produce wealth. Whether you have a a talent, an ability to do something, whatever it is, he put that in there and he expects us to use it. Come on. he, He could miraculously send you money. Anybody, anybody ever have miracles where you go open the mailbox and there's a check or you call the bank to check on your balance and you're like, holy cow, how did that get in there? I have no idea how that happened. God could do that. And he does because he is miraculous and he could do anything. Most often, though, everybody say most often. All right. So I said most often. So I'm not putting God in a box. I'm not excluding that he can give us money miracles. Okay, he he can. And I've heard stories that he does that. But most often I find the way that God works is he gives you, me, us an ability to produce wealth and expects us to use it. He he expects us to do something with what he's given with us. He he was the originator of a good work ethic. Come on. I wish, I I think sometimes you you would think from reading scriptures and and watching Christians' lives, you would think that most often in scripture it's the other way, that we just sit around and wait and God sends money. But it's not that way. Those are miraculous times, but most often the rule of how it works is he expects us to do something with what he's given us in our lives. That is the, the godly way to earn money is to use the talents and the abilities he's given you and do something with it the ungodly way to earn money well I guess there are a lot of ungodly ways <laughs> we, woo, we we could go down the list and and name them all I won't do that God hates dishonest gain he he hates taking advantage of people I know all those things are in scripture a lot he, in Proverbs the the things that God hates they're an abomination he detests one of them is unjust scales Like, hey, they used to go to the marketplace and they're like, hey, if if I put a little more weight, I make this side heavier. Nobody will know and I'll get more out of the transaction than the other guy. God said, I hate that. So he hates dishonest gain. He hates taking advantage of people. But an ungodly way to, to get money is one I wanted to hit on this morning was the expectation for everybody else to take care of me. Has anybody ever met someone like that? Man. You know they could work. You know they've got abilities. You know that they've got strength. But their whole expectation in life is, you're going to buy me lunch. You're, you're going to pay my bills. You're going to take care of me. That's not godly. That that was not his intention when he said, I gave you the ability to produce wealth. Here's, here's a verse in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 3 and verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians. He says, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Oh, we know people like that, don't we? He says, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and to earn the bread they eat. Christianity is not communism, okay? It's, I don't think it's unbridled capitalism either without God at the center of it. But it, but it is not this idea of, hey, everybody gets the same. And, and you don't have to work. You don't have to do anything. Paul put this... Come on, if, if Paul was running some of the agencies in the federal government today, would some of us be offended... If, if he had a press conference, hey, I'm, I'm going to have a press conference to tell you the, the, the new laws we're putting in place. If you're able to work and you don't, we're not giving you anything. There, there are people that would say, oh, he's so horrible. He doesn't care about poor people. He doesn't care about, come on. He said, when we were with you, this is the rule we gave you. If, if you're able to work and you don't, then you're not going to partake in the benefit of it. And come on, God, God wants us to take care of the poor and the downtrodden and the people who can't produce for themselves, okay? Because there, there are people we meet and everybody's had some time in life where it's, it's just hard and I don't see a way out, I'm stuck. There, there are legitimate needs that it's okay to meet, okay? God, God loves taking care of the widows and the orphans and the poor people. They are on his heart all the time. But he also had Paul right in there. If you don't work, you don't eat. Not not every hand that gets stretched out to you is it your responsibility to fill. That's a hard thing to say sometimes. Yeah. But but there's truth in that. There there is truth in people sometimes they just the way they want to earn money is just you do for me. And they're well able to work and to do these things. Ouch. Ouch, ouch. He wants us to be generous, but there was nowhere in Scripture where he said, lay down and let people walk all over you and take advantage of you. Come on, if, if, if you've been around New Life Fellowship for any length of time, you think I'm going to say the vision again, but I'm not. You you have heard your share of sob stories. I've, I've had so many people come, and, and Deb is my, am I allowed to say, she's, She's my uh, B.S. detector. Like, she's been in the neighborhood long enough. She'll come to me and and just, I'm listening to somebody tell their story. And and I'm like, oh, that's so awful. We should help them. And and Deb comes over and says, here's why they're saying that. And I know what's really going on. I'm like, oh, thank goodness you're here. You you save the church money that can go towards real ministry to needy people and not get taken advantage of. But that the ungodly way to earn money is to just sit back and say, you do for me. And Paul says, hey, no, no, no. If you don't work, you don't eat. So the first thing we need to do is earn some money. So we have it. Then what do we do with it? Uh, The second thing on the list this morning is give it. Pam sent me this great quote from Dave Ramsey this week. He says, money is a lot like manure. Left in one big pal, it starts to stink, but when you spread it around, things start to grow. Isn't that a a great quote? The more we hoard it, the more we just keep it, the more we begin to stink, actually. More than the money, even. I think our attitude starts to stink. But when we spread it around, we we find things begin to grow. Other people are blessed. The the prosperity that comes from being a generous person and a giver starts to manifest in our lives. So we need to give. And uh, when we earn money, if you're living according to the world's economy, the first thing the world says when you get money is either you keep it all for yourselves... Or you spend it. You know, come on. How many of you have ever had, you've known somebody that they get paid on Friday and Friday night that the check is gone? Come on, that's, that's a very real situation for some people. And that's, that's the world's economy. Either hoard it all for yourself or go spend it and blow it on yourself. In God's economy, what is different where the world says keep it or spend it and blow it? God's economy says give it first. That, that is the first thing on God's priority list. When, when money flows into your hands, what we ought to be looking for is where do I give some of this, Lord? That's the first thing we're supposed to be doing with it as Christians. The priority ought to be, how can I be a generous person and bless somebody with what you've given me? Here's a verse in Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. Uh, We answered the question last week, how much should we give? So if, if you missed that sermon, go back and listen to it. It's online. We already said each person should give what you've decided in your heart. That's how much you should give. But giving should be first in our priority list. Proverbs chapter three says glorify God with all your wealth. Honoring Him with your very best, with every increase that comes to you, and then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Uh, glorifying God, or some translations say honor the Lord with your first fruits, uh, it means giving. That, that is what he's implying in that verse. When he says glorify God, one of the ways we do that is we give our money. And, and I'm not talking about just a church. I'm talking about being a generous person in all facets of our life, whether it's directly to, to people that are in need, whether it's to our family, whether it's to a cause. Yeah, there, are, there are many causes that are doing good things in the world that aren't necessarily a church. And if you feel led, you should give to those things. If you see it benefiting your community and you're like, oh, I want to help them. Go ahead and do it. Your, your generosity is not limited to only flowing in church. It's a good word right there. I wonder if the offerings will go up or down after that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I just sometimes it's, it's so counterintuitive as a pastor to stand up here and say church isn't the only place you should give, but it's really true. God, I believe God is doing important and valuable things through New Life Fellowship. If you believe that, you're going to give here. This ought to be the first place we give. I believe that. But it shouldn't be the only place. And, and there are places that, that, come on, Jesus said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing when you're giving specifically. I think that means, hey, people in church don't need to know if I give to other causes and what else I'm doing. Glorify Him it means giving. And when we give, we recognize you've provided all anyway, God. You, you've put everything into my hands that I have. and I'm just I want to honor you by giving some of it back to you. And what does he tell us to give? He says, honor him with your very best. And the very best is often translated as first fruits. It means first fruits, the, the best, the, the first thing that we got out of the crop, the best of the crop that we have. I, I think I don't know that you can totally prove this or, or look at it in detail. But if you go back to Cain and Abel, I don't think it was so much Cain's gift of what it was, it was what was in his heart. It wasn't the first fruits. Too many times we relegate God to these are the leftovers. I I took care of me and everything else I needed to do and we're comfortable and we went out to eat this this last week and oh well whatever we got left, we'll bring that to church and we'll give it to God. Ooh that's a I don't know if that's one of those places do you want to say Amen or ouch to that. Thankfully Come on, thankfully God doesn't work with us that way. He doesn't look at us and say, I've only got leftovers for you. You know, I I took care of the rest of creation first, and oh, I guess, Phyllis, I'll give you whatever's left. He gives us everything that he has. Out of the bounty of his abundance, uh, the the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus are ours, and it's because he doesn't treat us the same way that we treat him sometimes. Man, I'm, I'm getting convicted just preaching. I'm going to stop and go home and cry. <laughs> Man, I, And this is particularly challenging for me. Even if, if you are a tither and you've committed, like, I give 10%, you know, as a minimum. That's what I believe because God blesses it. Not because I'm going to be cursed, but because he pours out blessings when you tithe. If you've tithed for years, sometimes I think we still have to stop and ask ourselves, is that my very best? Because I think there are times, and I don't know, I've experienced this in my own life, where, where tithing just gets on autopilot. It's like, oh, I built that into my budget. I don't even think about that first 10%. I just I write a check and then I worry about the other 90%. What am I going to do with it? And sometimes I think God challenges me, is that still your very best? Is, is that a gift that matters to you? Because I think, I think there is something in that. When we bring a gift, is it a sacrifice? Is it is something that matters to me or not? And if, if I put my giving on autopilot, then I don't really worry about or even think about it. And it's not really my best anymore. Moving right along after that. Uh, that's the godly way to give is give God our best and do it first. That ought to be the top priority that we have. Here's the ungodly way to give. Jesus points it out in Matthew chapter six. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. I always thought that would be pretty cool, like have the trumpeters follow us around while we're down giving to poor people. He says, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets do to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Ungodly giving is doing it with a desire to be seen by others. This is going to enhance my reputation. If I let everybody know how generous I am and what I've given. And Jesus says, you've already got your reward then. All, all the blessings associated with giving, the prosperity that's supposed to flow, the windows of heaven that are supposed to open, all these things, you've cut them off from flowing in your life because you've already received your reward. Because I did it for the approval of men and for my own reputation. If, if you want to give New Life Fellowship a gift... And it comes attached with a string or the caveat that says, well, you have to put my name on a plate and, and put it on there. Like, oh, it's, it's the Chris May's wing of the church that we built. If, if that's the string attached to your gift, keep it. Don't, don't give it. I'm, I'm not against if if you do that for a church and they want to honor you someday by they decide, man, we're, we're going to put a nice little plaque there that says how much we appreciate this gift this person gives, That's on them. They can do that if they want. But when we come with that attitude of you're going to put my name on that pew or I'm not going to give you that money, then don't give me that money. Because because Jesus says when you do your giving to be seen in front of men, it's ungodly. And it, it turns us into hypocrites. What is a hypocrite? This just means what's going on in here isn't matching what I'm doing on the outside. And even when I'm doing the right thing, look, I'm giving. If it's not matching what's going on in our heart, we're hypocrites. Man, thank you for letting me say hard things today. Does it feel like sometimes it's, it's harder to say things about money than other things? Man, so we need to earn money. We need to give it. Another thing that we need to do with money this year is we're going to save it. Maybe, you know, it's not ungodly to save some money. To, to actually have money in your bank account or your mattress or your piggy bank or your jar and the, where, wherever you keep it it's not ungodly to save some money any any financial person who's worth their weight who who will give you good advice they will tell you to save some it is is not sinful to have money left at the end of the week after you've done everything else with it we can save some money in fact even non-christian financial counselors so these are these are people that don't necessarily know Jesus and don't have a grid for the kingdom. Even non-Christian financial counselors will tell you some version of 10:10:80. 10, 10, Anybody know what those numbers are? I see I see a couple people nodding. It's it's not a verse in the Bible. <laughs> the the book of 10 10 Chris chapter 10 verse 80. 10:10:80 10, 10, 80 is this. Most financial counselors will tell you give 10% of your money away. Whoa, even non-Christian, non-Christian books I've read with financial guys telling you give 10% away. Why would they say that? Because they've seen that generous people are happy people. They they may not tie it back to, oh, I know why that works. But they know, man, people that give 10% away, that's a good goal to shoot for because they're happier with life. Give 10% away, then they'll tell you that the second 10 is save 10%. And then their, their advice usually is live off of 80% of what you earn. Figure out how to budget and pay the bills with the rest of the money that's left after you give 10 and save 10. What do you save it for? <laughs> what, am, what am I saving my money for? There's lots of stuff you save money for. You save it for an emergency fund. You know, my, my hot water heater is not going to last 50 years. It, it's probably going to make a mess all over the floor at some point, And we're going to have to say, oh, we've got to find a new one. There, there are things that happen. Some financial counselors will tell you, start saving six months' worth of expenses in case you're, you lose your job or your company goes under or something so that you have money saved up so that you're not destitute and turned out in the street on Monday after you just lost your job on Friday. Come on, it's, it's okay to save. You can save for an inheritance for your children. Come on, that's very biblical a wise man lays up an inheritance for his children and his children's children so we can save it. And in fact, in Proverbs chapter 30, uh, he gives a list. And he says there's four creatures that are very small, but very wise. And one of them he, that he mentions is in verse 25 in Proverbs 30 he says, Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summertime. He's actually tying in it's wise to be a saver. To actually take some of what you've gotten in a time when you had plenty or a time when you had more than enough and set some of it aside to save it. There's wisdom in that. And and obviously, the the ungodly way to save is just to hoard it so that I can have more than you and and I can be richer than you. Or I can can make my names higher up the list on Forbes than you. The the ungodly way to save is just for the sake of having the money. How, How much is too much to have in the bank? Has anybody ever asked you that question? How much is it okay to have in there? You because know, some of us are thinking, "Man, if I have a hundred dollars in there. I'm happy." What if you had a thousand dollars? What if you had a million dollars in the bank? Is that too much? You know, are we are we looking at people and judging them, saying, "Well, don't you know how many poor people are suffering because you've got a million dollars in the bank and you should be doing all this?" How much is too much? Here's the answer. Anybody want the answer, or should we wait? We wait till next week. This is, this is the answer. How much is too much? Too much is any amount that makes you trust in money more than Jesus. And that means the amount doesn't matter. It's what's going on in here. If, if, my, if, if, I've, if I have stored up so much that my trust now moves from Jesus is taking care of me at all times to, oh, my money is going to take care of me. If I get in tough times, i got enough saved up for me. Then that's too much. Because it's shifted our trust from where it's supposed to be. Here's a couple verses to back that up. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. And then in Mark chapter 10, this is where Jesus is having the conversation with the rich young ruler. And, and he's telling him, hey, this is what you need to do. You guys remember this story? The, the guy comes up, says, what do I have to do to follow after you? And Jesus looks at him and says, go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. What did that guy do? It said it he went away very sad because he had much wealth. And I don't think the, the issue for the rich young ruler was not the amount of money he had. It was what was going on in his heart. Jesus, I can't sell everything I have. That's my security. That, that takes care of me. That's where my trust is. And Jesus was wanting that rich young ruler to move his trust from his stuff and his money onto Jesus. And this is, he turns around to the disciples and says, hey, it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Which uh, Pam was reminding me that uh, she read this great devotional that talked about the eye of a needle was an actual gateway in the city of Jerusalem. And to get camels to go through it, the camel had to go like on its knees and get through it. And it was just a picture of. This humility, if, if we want to look at our wealth right and get into the kingdom and, and not let money roll over us, so we have to have humility in our heart. But the disciples got really freaked out. They're like, Jesus, how can anybody be saved if, if these rich guys can't be saved? You know, they they can't buy their way in what you know, what hope is there for us? And this is part of what Jesus actually answered them in Mark, chapter 10, verse 24 uh, in the Amplified Bible. It says how hard it is for those who trust Or place their confidence or their sense of safety in riches to enter the kingdom of God. And that was the rich young ruler's problem. It wasn't how much money he had. It was his attitude towards it and his trust in it. So we do need to save some of it. We need to save it in a godly way. And the fourth thing is we need to spend it. And this ought to be the place where everybody says, amen. Let's spend that money. Pastor Chris, let's... Like, can we spend your money, Pastor Chris? Like, that's, that's usually what excites us the most is when we get to spend somebody else's money, not our own. But we, are, we spend our money. It's okay to take some of the money you have and spend it. What should you do with your money when you're spending it? Pay your bills. How about start there? Come on. If you, if you have obligations you've committed yourself to, pay your bills. It's part of your Christian witness. Pay them on time. Can I say it that way? There are too many times... Mike, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, if, if, or Bill maybe. If, if you're if you have a skill or a profession and you're in the church, how many of you have ever had the experience if somebody comes up and says, "Mike, I want you to come finish this room for me, but you'll give me the, the Christian Brother discount, right? Like you'll come do this for free." Nobody's ever done that to Mike, have they? You can just repent right now and write him a big check, That's, and he'll take it. Pay your bills on time. Being responsible with our money is part of our Christian witness. I actually think, I don't know where that example popped into my head now, but don't take advantage of people in the church just because they have a skill. The the worker is worth his wage. Pay pay them what they are worth because they worked hard to to know what they can do. Gosh, I could talk about money and get myself in all kinds of trouble, I guess. Spend it. Spend it. Pay your bills on time. Make a budget. Come on, if if you don't tell your money what to do, someone else will tell your money what to do. Come on. I I would much rather be in charge of making the decisions about where my money is going to go. I think, uh, is it Dave Ramsey says it this way? He says, name every dollar. Like, give it a name. You are savings, and that's where you're going to go. You you are the electric bill, and that's where you're going to go so we don't get our lights shut off. Tell your money what to do when you spend it. Bless people. Come on, take somebody to lunch today. The Steelers game isn't until 8. You, you, you could bless someone by spending money on them. That is a very, we, we laugh, but that is a very real and tangible way to bless people is to, to spend money on them. You invite them over to your house to watch the game. Have snacks for them. Or invite them. It's late. It's 8.20. Invite them over to watch the national anthem. And then, it was great. Have, oh, there is no school tomorrow. You can have them stay till the end of the first quarter then. <laughs> feed them, feed them, give them snacks and then say, man, I was so blessed to have you over here. You're such a blessing to me. There's the door. We love you guys. <laughs> Spend it. Bless people, but especially take care of your family. Okay, that, that is where it starts. God, godly spending takes care of the relationships that are most important to you first. And this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's one, of, one of the traits of being a godly person is we take care of our family, in, including the family in this room. I don't think he's just talking about blood family, but the relationships that are most important should be the highest priority to us. And he actually says, not taking care of your family makes you worse than people that don't know Jesus. Come on, can you imagine Timothy getting this letter from Paul and thinking, I have to stand up and read this to the church on Sunday? And, and he just said, if you're not taking... And I, I just picture Timothy like a, a typical pastor thinking... Well, when I, read, when I read that section, brother so-and-so, I know he's, he doesn't pay his child support or pay his spousal support, and brother so-and-so... Like, like, I picture Timothy doing that and thinking, how can I read this in front of the church? But Paul says, if you don't take care of your family, you are worse than people that have never met Jesus and had Him change their lives. Gosh! We are called to take care of our family. That's godly spending. Uh, ungodly spending we waste our money on foolish and sinful pursuits or so i guess you throw selfish on that list too that's most often what it is wasting our money on foolish and sinful pursuits proverbs chapter 10 verse 16 says this the lovers of god earn their wages for a life of righteousness but the wages of the wicked are squandered on a life of sin and i'm not going to give you the list of what the life of sin is I think I think all of us know when we're spending our money wisely or we're spending our money on foolish and sinful pursuits. What is what does sin always produce? Sin always produces death. If you're spending your money on things that produce death, why would God give you any more money? I'm, I just think about things as a natural family, a natural father. If if I'm giving Silas money and I find out, oh, he took his money and he went and bought drugs and almost overdosed and he's doing ungodly things with it. I'm going to stop giving him money. I'm going to be like, hey, you need help. We need to to do something about this, but I'm certainly not going to give you any more money to go kill yourself. And I think sometimes God's thinking, man, I so want to bless you. I so want to pour out all this stuff on you, but I can't give it to you because you're going to use it to kill yourself. And, and we're sitting there, you know, with our sinful, foolish and selfish pursuits all around us, thinking, God, why won't you bless me? You know, like, why, why can't I hit the numbers? I've got to go back and read that verse. What was that verse we read earlier in... Uh, In Proverbs, it said, mere talk puts no bread on the table. Has anybody ever done that? Man, if we would just hit the numbers. God, I would love to bless the church with a tithe off of that Powerball jackpot. Come on, isn't that like the first thing that we say? But do you really mean that? It's like... I would give and give and give if you would just let me hit the yeah, God, I, I sure I would. I'd take I'd buy mom a nice house and we would pay off our house, but I would be a giver. And God's like, no, you wouldn't. You're not doing it now with what I gave you already. Why? why is the sudden windfall, you know, if, if, if I almost don't want to put numbers on it. But, you know, if, if you're getting $20,000 a year and you're not being godly with it now, why is $200 million going to change your priorities and your value system? Okay? We, mere talk puts no bread on the table. <laughs> oh, i got to stop somewhere before I get in big trouble. Don't, don't judge people by what they do with their money. Just purpose in your heart, I'm going to be a good example to people. I, I'm going to develop a relationship with money that shows people how it should work rather than judging them for what they're doing. And what's going to happen is, is people will eventually see that and they will come to you and say, man, how are you making ends meet? I, I, th- I think I make more than you at, at my job. How are, you, how are you able to have enough money to take care of your family and pay the bills? And it will open a door for you to say, well, let me tell you, these are, these are principles that work. God, God gave a lot of wisdom in his book of how to interact with money. Or you, or you, could, you really could waste your time judging people for how they spend their money. Of, you know, sitting there... You know, we we give out food at the food pantry. I don't. We don't stand there and say, "Hey, I know you really, you know, you don't need that food, and you really had money for a carton of cigarettes and a case of beer." I saw you getting off the bus with that. We just give, and and what? Because God's called us to be generous, and what people do with it is up to them. So don't. You, it's just a waste of time to to be judgmental like that. But it's more productive to say, "God, I'm going to get my own stuff in order with money." and be an example to others and then figure out how i can help and instead of being judging put my arm around somebody and say let me help you and here's how this worked for me and what could work for you too that's a good place to stop everybody say yes it is all right let's go ahead and stand and uh, as we pray this morning i know it's it's easy to talk about those four areas you know we, we need to earn money we need to give it we need to save it we need to spend it but there. are there are very real needs that we have to, to improve in all of those areas. And so as I pray this morning, uh, maybe earning money has been an issue. Maybe maybe there's we need to be praying for a new job or a promotion or something to happen different in your life. We're going to pray for that and expect it this morning. May, maybe we, we've we been having trouble being givers and, and we need God to really work on our heart to develop generosity. I believe we, we're going to receive that as, as we're praying and we're talking about money these past couple of weeks. And maybe we just need more wisdom. God, I'm not, I'm not so good with saving it. And I haven't spent it on the right things up till this point. Don't, don't feel condemned by that. If you're in a place where you're in a hole and you're thinking, I haven't spent my money on the right things up till this point, just ask God for wisdom. It says He gives to whoever asks. He, he pours out wisdom liberally to us. Ask Him for that wisdom today. God, help me to make better decisions. So whatever place we're in with money, we ask him to help us this morning. Father, we come before you right now and we thank you that, that you've not abandoned us. We thank you for uh, the promise, even as David, at the end of his years, as he's been living this life for so long, he turned around and said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. We thank you that that is part of our inheritance, that you take care of us. And God, we thank you for the times that you've taken care of us in spite of our dumb decisions. And so, God, we, we come before you right now as, as a church, as people, as, as families, as individuals. We, we lay our finances out before you. and We just we say thank you, first of all, for the abilities that you've given us to earn money, for the times that we've seen it flow into our lives, even, even the miraculous times. We thank you for that. And, God, we, we also, as we, as we lay out our stuff before you, we, we repent. We just thank you that that you break off the old habits and the mindsets of the past, the mistakes we've made, and you give us a fresh start in you. You give us a plan to move forward. And God, where there's people in this room that uh, they need more earning power. They need something to change in their earning situation. God, I thank you for just promotions and favor and new jobs. If the doors need to be open to new jobs, I just thank you for moving that way in our lives and promoting your people. God, where, where we need to be more generous, I ask that you would turn our hearts, that you would give us opportunities, that you would highlight and make us aware of situations that maybe nobody else in the world sees, but you've given us the sight to see it so that we can sow into it. God help us to be generous people. And Lord, we ask to pour out that you would pour out wisdom on our lives of, of how to save money and, and where to spend it. Give us wisdom that, that would set us apart from the world around us. I thank you that the economy of the kingdom operates differently than the economy of this world. And we say right now, we're going to value what you value. We're going to put our priorities in line with your priorities, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for the grace and the wisdom to do that. Practical steps that we could carry out in our lives to change the situation where we've been. God, I thank you that that you care about our money. And not just because you you want it... (laughs) Not because you're after it, but because you care about us. And Lord, as, as we go from this place, I thank you that you take uh, people that have been hopeless in their financial situations and you fill them with hope today. Just speak to our hearts and let us know you, you've got it, Lord, that you are not going to abandon us. And Father, I just ask right now that even as we go from this place, that we would go knowing that we are blessed by you that we have a Father that loves and cares for us. We have a Father who is faithful no matter how we've acted or where we've gone or what we've done. God, I thank you that even when we feel like we've squandered our inheritance, you see us running home and you put a robe around us and a ring on our finger and shoes on our feet and you welcome us back. God, we just say that we love you and all that we have is yours. Remind us of that everywhere that we go. Let your goodness and your mercy be on our lives. Let your favor be seen in everything that we put our hands to, so that your name would be made famous. We just give you the glory and the honor now in Jesus' name. Amen.